we feel like it's we've been trying to get here for so long to be with family. And you might think that's a bit strange because we've never met before. You might not have seen us before and we're calling you family. Uh, you have been a part of everything you've seen on the screen. And you've been a part of so much more, which we're going to share with you today. You came on as a missions partner this year in the middle of this pandemic. You are our people because of that sort of faithfulness. And just the craziness which would say, pandemic or no pandemic, we are in. We are starting something new. We are giving when things are uncertain. I was like, we've got to get down and be big people because you're our sort of people. Not waiting for things to be convenient or right or saying, we're going to hold back and use wisdom here. You as a church are like, no, God's kingdom advances in good times and in bad times. Pandemic, no pandemic, we are in. And we are thrilled to tell you that God's kingdom hasn't taken a break in the last year. His mission has gone forward and forward and increasing and increasing. And you're a part of that. So we love you. We're family. And it's our honor to come and share with you this morning. We just wanted to start with a little bit of our story. Um, Josh and I are very much accidental missionaries. We did not set out to lay our lives down. We did not set out to have anything other than quite an ordinary life. Um, and we're not extraordinary people. What we have seen, though, is that our God can do impossible right. things. Yeah. What you saw on the screen was what confronted me when I arrived in Lesotho in 2012. I was in politics. I went to Lesotho to help with the elections. I had no interest in becoming a missionary. I loved God, I was serving God, and I had my plan for how that would look. <laughs> but I saw this, and God convicted my heart that you cannot just sing about who God is. You cannot just believe what he can do. You need to live what you profess. And for me, that meant when I saw something that was impossible, believing that I served a God who does impossible things. So for the first two years that I was in Lesotho, I basically sat in the street and said, God, I will not move until you show me what to do. And I sat on the street every morning and I sat on the street every night and I spent my weekends playing cards with children who were living on the street and I saw the knives and I saw the violence and I was around the drugs and I still knew, God, this is not too hard for you. This is the reason that Jesus died the death that he did. This is the reason he was tortured. This was the reason he was hated because it is so evil. And it is so impossible that you needed Jesus to come and do what he did to redeem something like this. And I can tell you that was 2012. If you walk down the centre of our capital city now in Maseru, you will not find children on the streets. We have been able to remove 95% of children off the streets of Maseru. We no longer have street children in Maseru. And it has not been easy. 
Honestly, it has not been easy. I'm not saying that to say um, this is simple, this is fast, this is not costly. It is the opposite of all of that. It is the pouring out of a life for the sake of other people. It is spending yourself on behalf of the poor. It is giving up what you want for what other people need. And that is the life of a laid-down Christian. That is what we are called to do. Our faith is not for ourselves. We have been redeemed. We have been filled. We have been loved because we pour out that to others. We are simply a vessel. And we are to insert ourselves in these impossible situations where people do not know that they are loved and people do not know that there is an answer. We insert ourselves in them and we let God flow through us. That is our job. And that is what has happened in Lesotho. Yeah, you can clap that. So my story is a little bit different to Belinda's. Belinda went for a a contract and I stayed back here in Australia. So I was getting the journey really by phone as it was happening. Um, And on my first visit there, God got my heart about it too. Um, And it was this sense that the problem is in front of our eyes. And as a Christian, I said, well, I guess that means we're responsible. And we went through a process of really finding other organisations to come and, and, and for us to be able to support them to do the work. And it became very apparent over time that, no, <laughs> as a believer, if it's in front of you and you have the Holy Spirit, then that's the team. That's how it starts. And so I, was, I came back to Australia after a short visit and... I read a scripture once that I was familiar with, but you know what, sometimes when you read the Bible and you see something, you go, and you get a new meaning out of it, it's as if it's the first time you read it. This is what happened to me, and it was in Isaiah chapter 61, it might be familiar to you as well, and it says this, so just if you don't know, this book is written hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus, but it was foretelling the coming of Jesus. Right, so this scripture we're about to read in Isaiah 61, it's as if Jesus is speaking it. It's in his voice. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. When I read this, I had a prompting that I was to proclaim and pray this scripture over children on the street in Lesotho. And I did this for over a year, every single day, as if we are prophesying a new day, a new dawning, because what we saw was one thing, but what God had in mind was a completely different thing. This scripture was talking about Jesus, obviously. Jesus came to set things right. Jesus came to set things right. How often do we see things around us that are so opposite to the world that God had in mind and designed? Jesus came to set those wrong things right. He came to establish a new order. Those first few words, 
the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Anointed is God's power. That's what God's anointing is on us. It's his power. And God's power always accomplishes a purpose. God's power always accomplishes a purpose. Sometimes as Pentecostal Christians, we think power is feeling emotional in worship. And it is sometimes. But God's power is always for a purpose. Now for Jesus, that power and purpose was the preaching of the gospel. To establish a new order. To take those wrong things and to make them right again. For Jesus... The anointing was God's power to bring salvation to you and me. How good is that? That was why Jesus came. Jesus was not anointed just to be anointed. He was filled with God's power to bring the gospel. We are beneficiaries of that right now. He established a new order, a new way of relating to God, a new way of being made right with God because of that power that rested upon him. But guess what? His anointing, the Lord's anointing, his enabling power is on us. So what can we learn from this? That God anoints us. He gives us his power, which is crazy if you think about it, to establish God's purpose on the earth. To take those things that are not right and to bring them under God's authority. God's power on us accomplishes a purpose. Now, for Jesus, there was power and anointing and a call and a purpose in this scripture we learn to bring the good news, the gospel, for someone, for the poor, for the brokenhearted, for captives, for prisoners, for those who mourn. God's power was for people. God's power was for people, and it established a new day. The Lord's favor has come, beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning. This is God's order. This is his way of doing things, replacing the new for the old for new, new for old. You know what I mean. <laughs> the death and resurrection of Jesus brings a new order. The purpose of power is people, other people. The purpose of power is people. I pray that we would be a people that said, God, pour out your power upon me for people. Sometimes we think we need brilliance. We need a strategy. We need a plan. We need excellence. We need all these things. Church, what you need is the power of God. God, would you fill me? As broken as I am, as unqualified as I am, as much as I think you wouldn't want to use me, God says, I can put my anointing on you. Every single person here, God can and will and wants to put his power on you so that his plan and purpose is established here on the earth and in Horsham. God loves the people of Horsham. It is God's cry and desire that his power could rest on you for people. Are we in? Do we want this? The purpose of power is people. Listen to this from um, the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 33. Don't miss this. 
It's talking about the early church. And it says, God's grace, which is another way of saying his anointing and enabling power. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. God's power was so evident. What was the result of that? There were no needy amongst them. Have we misunderstood power? God, would you give me your power? Would it be so heavy upon us as believers, as a community, that there are no needy amongst us? God's power had a purpose. No needy amongst you. 1 Peter uh, chapter 4 and 10. Each one has received some spiritual gift. Each one of us. No one has missed out on a spiritual gift here. He should use it to serve others. Can we see this pattern of power resting on people? And it's for someone else. I find this interesting because God could have given me every spiritual gift to be spiritually self-sufficient. But he quite clearly chose not to. He has not given you every spiritual gift. He hasn't given you everything you need spiritually. But he's given all the gifts in this room and it's his desire that we could serve one another with those gifts. God, let your power be on me so strong that other people get what you've given me. This is why I love church. We are supposed to be serving one another in here to get what we need spiritually. I know we might live in an individualistic society where we think self-sufficiency is a good thing. (laughs) Not in the church. Okay, rely on one another. Give to one another. This is how we grow. This is how we get what we need spiritually is from other people. It's our desire here to share with you what we are doing in Lesotho. Harvest Church, Josh and Belinda, an amazing team in Lesotho, what we are achieving together. Jesus said before I left the earth, remember, remember, don't forget this, I've given you authority. I've given you authority. I've given you power, right? The power isn't for in here, by the way, only. (laughs) Power for people. We can do this. As I walked through the doors this morning, that sign above there stood out to me. The fields are white for harvest. The harvest is there. The harvest is ready. It is there. Um, The Holy Spirit has been speaking to me strongly this morning about the harvest out there in this town. It is, it's there. It's not coming. It's there. It's ready. What could we do, church, if we understood that we are privileged enough to carry God's power? He's not going to wait for you to become the person you think you need to be. Harvest is ready now. He will put his spirit and his power and his authority on you for people that he loves, for people that he sent his son for. Are you up for it? Are we up for serving one another spiritually? Are we up for being vulnerable enough to receive from someone else spiritually so that we can carry God's power, that this can be a place where the broken can come, where 
the order of the devil can be so disrupted by the kingdom of God that things are set right again. Things that we called impossible. Things that we don't want to talk about anymore. There are, there are um, family members we just don't discuss. There are things happening down the road we know about, but they intimidate us too much. Poverty, drugs. God's power is enough. Way more than enough that we can see a turnaround. I'm reminded of, remember when David and Goliath. we, We don't have time to read you the story this morning. But here is a guy who understood what God's power could do. Right? He himself was not a soldier. You know that. He was a shepherd. But he said, you know what? God helped me kill a bear and a lion. Can you hear what this Goliath is saying about our God? Doesn't this offend you? That same God that helped me with a bear and a lion, I think he can help me here. Let me at him. Let me at him because of the God that we serve. Church, what offends you? What offends you? What when you see it says, that is not right. That, that is the devil shaking his fist at God thinking he is winning here on this earth. What offends you? Because his power at work in us can change things. We have seen it in this era. Not remarkable at all. At all. We have a small video. Yeah, of the girls. Uh, yeah, we, we can do that one. Yeah. So we want to show you um, the end result of God's transforming mm. power. So after we, after we cleaned up the street, we said, where else can we go? What else can we do? And what we discovered when we were in the street was that 80% of kids who lived there came from one village. They had all run away from the same village. So we said, let's move to that village. And we took our team and we took our tent, which is all we owned, and we pitched it in that village and we decided we're moving in. We're moving into the most violent village where most of the murderers come from. We're moving into the village where no kids are going to school, where abuse is everywhere, where everyone said, you'll get killed. And we moved in and we said, we're going to change this village. And we started to look for who else was oppressed and who else was abused. Because there are people who were in the exact same situations as kids off the street, but they didn't run to the street. They were stuck in brothels. They were living, they were young girls, young girls living in abandoned houses where men would just come through. And we were like, we need something for these precious girls. So we started a program for really young women who were prostituting, um, who were living outside in the forest, who were, we basically walked through the village and said, who, who, you know, where are all the girls who are hopeless? Where are the girls that everyone hates? And they're like, oh, you'll find one up there. She'll be on drugs. Go down to that abandoned house. There's one there who sleeps with all the men. Like, great. And we collected them all. And instead of having a program for young women who are prostituting, we started a qualification. And we trained girls to get a certificate in early childhood care and development. So they didn't know they were coming to get helped. We weren't pitying them. We weren't feeling sorry for them. We knew that God created them for a purpose and it was our job to bring it out. So we have a small video here 
of the girls who finished our program. Um, some couple of hundred of them over the last few yeah, years. Maybe, maybe three, four three, hundred. Four hundred. Yeah. This is the end result. Every one of those stories just, I can hold it together emotionally most of the time, but except on those days, mess. Because of what God can do. Now, we don't have to go and tell them about how amazing they are because they experience it and they know, look what I can do now. I just want to finish up with one more story. Our organisation, we're about those who are on the outside of society. Then COVID hit. And immediately in our village, that meant lockdown, people couldn't work and people, we knew we were going to see starvation and we started seeing it immediately because people couldn't leave their homes to work uh, to get money. And our team had this in them. Do I understand? No one's coming. The trucks with food are not coming. But I'm a Christian. I have the Holy Spirit. Here we are in the middle of the village. We'll do something. We are not logisticians. We are not food distribution people, we, we just, that's not who we are, but they said, we'll do it. And as we started to plan, we said, well, we don't have any budget for this, but maybe let's pick 500 families and we're just going to, by faith, do it. And they'd plan it, they'd find the 500 families, and we're about to distribute, and they go, the thing is, if we pick 500, like, then there's the neighbour, and like, we just can't pick the most desperate 500 families. So I'm like, all right, um, a thousand, that's still a thousand. Um, and so they went out to plan it and we're about to distribute on a Monday and they, on the Sunday they said government distribution trucks were coming guarded by soldiers and police and they were turned away because there was too much violence. They could not get food out. Was that our time to give up? No, the purpose of power is people. Do you think God cares about people who are hungry? You bet he does. So I don't know what happened but we just said, right, we're going to feed everyone in the village. 35,000 people, we're going to give a month's worth of food, 9,000 people. Now, we have a team of 10 staff, um, young, girls. <laughs> young women, and they did it. Not only did they do it, yeah. they started walking yeah. and they visited every single home in the village, 9,000 homes on foot. On foot. Wow. Yeah. There was not, a, not an incident. There was no violence. In the most violent village in our capital city, there was no violence. As they distributed food to every single home in the village. When we started to distribute, we didn't have enough food. We didn't have enough money. But we kept walking and we kept knocking and we kept going. By the end, 
God had poured out manna from heaven. It's his power because God loves people. Well, we're going to do an interview, aren't we? All right. As they come, as um, we get ready for an interview, the morning of that distribution, or the night before, I was texting the um, chief operating officer of the, the flour mill, and he said, we placed our order, all paid up, and he goes, Josh, um, we, we don't have any food. And this was midnight, their time, before the distribution, where people would be lining up at 8 o'clock. Now, I knew the guy quite well, and I just said, well, okay, thank you. There was no point arguing, right? If there's no food, there's no food. So I um, said, okay, thank you, and then sent out a text, and we sent one down to you and said, hey, they're saying no food, um, but the thing is, people are lining up in a few hours. <laughs> we're not telling them there's no food. because <laughs> So we prayed, and the team got up early in the morning and said, well, what should we do? I said, we've already paid the trucks, so send the trucks down to the mill. And the trucks went on down to the mill, filled up with food, and left. Because we prayed. Because your pastors prayed, and as a church, you can't explain it. We, um, we caught up last night, and it's the first time that we've met you guys and, and your family. Um, but... You know, following on from that, one of the things that Belinda said last night is that so often you've just felt God's prompting to do something and you've, you've had nothing and you've just seen God's miracle. Can, do you want to kind of explain or elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, certainly. So this has been a, a learning journey for Josh and I. As, as we said, we didn't go out there with this enormous faith wanting to be a missionary. Um, we literally had nothing, so there was no choice. Okay, we went out to the field with no church supporters and we had Josh's last paycheck and we had no other money coming in for the next four years. So month by month by month, we had no option but to watch and see how God would provide. But what that did was to teach us how God can provide. And that, what he did for us personally, we've now spilled over into our whole organisation and we've realised usually the resource follows the obedience, not the other way around. Which means if we see something and we know we need to do something, then we do it. We do it whether we have money or whether we don't have money because we serve God and not money. If I was to see something that I know is right and I disobey God because I don't have money, which God did I just serve? I will not bow my knee to money. I will bow my knee to God alone. Um, I'm glad I wrote a couple of notes because um, I'm actually quite emotional. <laughs> so just chatting with these guys last night, it just became apparent that there's so much involved in the world that we don't see. Like, we are comfortable here. You know, even when we're stretched, <laughs> we're, we're comfortable. We can usually get a meal somewhere or we can show up at someone's house and get a meal and... And, and that's not the, the story that we've, we've kind of, we've heard. This is, this is a different world that we don't get to be a part of. Um, you guys are making a huge impact and a huge sacrifice um, with your life to, to sow into that. And what are some of the programs uh, that Sapeo does for you? You mentioned in one of the videos is a school and then you did 
we're, we're tricking these girls into getting a certificate, but we're actually saving their lives. <laughs> um, what are some of those programs? Um, so we have a boys' school, which is for boys who leave the streets. Um, we worked out pretty quickly that that was the best way to get children off the streets. We couldn't get them back into mainstream schools. We tried, but they would run away. Their behaviour was too difficult, and homes were not so supportive at that time. So we started our own schools, especially for boys who had left the streets, and that way our team can be in their homes and we're invested in their rehabilitation, as well as being able to let them finish primary school. Um, 2019, we opened a school for girls who had been in prostitution. Little girls. Little, little girls. Um, and actually, we have two photos. One is the school uniform of the girls. Yep, that's their school uniform for our girls' school. And then the next photo, um, yep, and this, this was one of my favourite times ever at Sapeo was being able to baptise young girls who had made a decision to follow Jesus. And before Easter holidays, that's when they, they did it and they were just bold and defiant together to say, I'm not going back to that old man anymore. I don't need him, right? So this beautiful girl was actually the, the, the one we found out in the forest. And one year later, she got into the top high school in, in Maseru, in our capital city. Yeah. Amazing. Um, in one of the videos this morning, it's, it talked about the change in identity, that children that were in um, Maseru and, and on the streets in Lesotho, they um, were kind of identified as rats. Mm -hmm. and, Talk about the identity change. Uh, how much is identity important in what you guys do? Um, transforming identity is the way we have succeeded. So often when we see a problem, we can design a program around that problem, as if the person is a problem, as if any person is a problem, as if God created people that were utterly useless with nothing inside of them, that they just needed to hear, you know, what a problem they are. And a lot of the programs were doing that you know, reinforcing this is a program for prostituting women or street kids. And we just cut that out from the beginning. This is not a school for street kids. This is not a program for prostituting women. This is a normal school where you can come and discover what is it that God put inside you to give to this world. So our entire program is designed around shedding that old identity of being useless and finding what God created you to do. So by transforming that identity, when something goes wrong in a person's life, and it does, they no longer run back to the street because it's not who I am. It was a circumstance, but it is not who I am. And that is the reason we've seen the 95% success rate that we have. Um, you mentioned earlier 95%, I think you said, of the street kids are, are no longer on the street. How has that impacted the rest of the community? Like, have, how, have you, how have you seen that with the, the other parts of the community, their response to that? It, it's something that people are proud of because I think it was just something that was in people's faces so much that they thought, well, this is just normal. And a lot of people, when you say, oh, do you remember five years ago? They go, oh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right, they were everywhere. Um, but the, the change is when people see it, it's unusual now and they'll do something about it. So um, we'll get a phone call, the team will get a phone call to say, hey, I saw a child here, right, where the, where the whole city now will go, no, no, this is not 
us anymore. This is not our city. There's one. Let's report that. And then our team will go and we'll, we'll get them back home. Wow. Yes. So, in essence, you guys have been able to go because of a need that captured your heart and you've changed a culture in, in an area. Um, I remember Belinda in probably, and, and church, this is, this is what attracted us to Josh and Belinda's ministry through Sapeo, um, is I, I think we were just in the same group chat and um, you guys asked for prayer for something and I'm like, I, I'm just going to look up these guys and see what they do, what it is that they do. And I, I looked up the website and I saw uh, this video um, and I think we've shown it, we may have shown it here before, and Belinda said this one line in that video that just triggered something in my heart that said, I can't pretend that I didn't see that. And for us um, as Christians, I, I kind of I want to have that heart too that goes, you know, being particularly in our, in our region but also in the globe, but having an I can't pretend that I... I didn't see that, or I don't know that that's going on. Um, talk to us a little bit about the the sacrifice of being missionaries, the sacrifice of of you know, because you're not the only missionaries that we support. We support um, other ones international. It's a great sacrifice. But talk to the church about what it's like to actually give it up for doing something extravagant like this. Um. On the one hand, yes, I can see objectively it, it does appear to be a sacrifice. And at the time, it felt like a sacrifice to us because we had our career plans. I mean, really, we had our career plans and we'd worked on them for so long and we were, got, we were on the up and we much preferred a sort of plan whereby we succeeded and we gave our money away. I mean, that would have, that would have been ideal. <laughs> but the idea of giving up my career, having reached that point that I had aspired to for so long, that was the wrenching sacrifice for my heart, was to go from a somebody to being absolutely nobody. Wow. Wow. Um, and that was the decision. And that was the thing that I was holding that, that God asked for. Wow. You know, are you prepared to be nothing? Are you prepared to let everyone that you've sort of grown up with overtake you? And are you prepared to have... I mean, we didn't, we didn't really mind the money. It wasn't so much the money as much as it was being someone, succeeding. Yeah. The thing that our world expects. We were giving that up and that was, that was tough. Yeah. Um, but yes, it was... It was often, I often ask myself this question. Um, how am I going to account for this decision when I stand before God one day? And that, that's kind of been our guide. There's been a lot of things we didn't feel like doing that we're not very comfortable, but I know I'm going to account for them. And I want to be able to account well for the choices I've made in my life when I stand before my God one day. And at the end of that journey, and really it's separating from, you know, what our society values. Yeah. And in pursuing becoming a nobody, you find this real treasure yeah. of casting off uh, the weight of yeah. the world and... Yeah what we're supposed to be and finding um, your sustenance in God. It's, it's a beautiful thing to come to, although that journey is incredibly painful. Yeah. You've got um, two of your sons with you today. Can you just tell us a little bit more about your family? Yeah, so we, along the way, we uh, adopted three boys. Um, 
essentially it was three boys that we couldn't find families for. So we became parents overnight. And um, so we have an 18-year-old son, Sakia, and we have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, Cabello and Tavoro. So they're gifts. They're beautiful kids. Um, and again, their story was miraculous. When we, when we first started fostering, there was no adoption agreement between Lesotho and Australia. So um, we were never really going to be allowed to adopt. But again, it was that, how am I going to account for this decision? Am I just going to leave kids on the street? I, I, there's, there's not a choice. There's no choice. So we knew that by taking children in, we'd probably be stuck in a landlocked country for the next 18 years. Um, but we gave it to God and we did what was right. And then two years ago, there was an absolute flip in the government and they just pushed through our adoption and then our kids got Australian permanent residency at the end of January this year, right before COVID. And so, Belinda, you were coming, was it February that you were coming for two weeks to yeah. bring your oldest son, is that yeah. correct? And yeah. then you've been here. Tell us what, I mean, obviously you're still figuring out, but, but what's, what's the plan at the moment? Uh, so, I think we've been, been accustomed not to make too many plans. <laughs> and, and I think you'd be the same now, right? <laughs> like, you, you, yeah, we, we don't plan anymore. We just, we're in the moment. Um, so we can't give a definitive answer of what's next, but we feel a sense to prepare for that next thing. There is something next. Uh, so about two years ago, um, Belinda and I felt a real prompting to start handing over a lot of leadership. And so we went through a, a process of, of doing exactly that. So that when we said goodbye to everyone, um, we said back in two weeks, things are still going and growing because they're leading. Yeah. And yeah, it's... Uh, it's Um, I just want to jump on the back of something you said during um, your message that you're sharing. Uh, and it's a bit of a revelationary one for all of us. We've all known it, but we, we kind of sometimes shy away from it, I, I suppose, that the purpose of power is people. And that what we receive isn't for us to feel uh, sort of, you know, a, a nice feeling or, or to go, oh, that's, that was a good emotion or, hey, that presence of God was in the room today and the worship worship was incredible. Thank you very much, team, this morning. They really went somewhere special with that and they're doing an excellent job. Yes, you can give them a round of applause. They're awesome. Um, the point is that if we can come to this and feel the power and the presence and don't walk away with a purpose to actually help people change their lives and be impacted by the gospel, then I think we've missed the point. Just throwing in another P there. This is what <laughs> preachers do. Another P. <laughs> but how, how is that relevant? I mean, I, I want for us to actually take away something from today that there's a new... Uh, 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 I'm trying to avoid using another P word. A passion <laughs> for what Sapeo is doing um, and going, I, I can't ignore that anymore. What would you say to people who are like, um, who want to walk out of this going, oh, there's just something about that that I, I need to be connected to. Because we are connected as a church, but I think as individuals, we all have a responsibility to not just go, well, that's just the church's connection. And you know, we've got little magnets here that um, Sapeo has kindly um, supplied for all of us. So it just shows the partnership between 
our church and this organization, but it's also for you to be able to pray for and, and stuff like that. But how can, how can we actually get that? Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't even know what my question is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> What's the one thing about Sapeo that someone could take away from this conversation and go, I've got to connect with that in some way. There's something about that that speaks to me. Purpose. It's purpose. It is that every single person in the world was created to play a part in the body of Christ. There is a there is a limb for you. There is a finger or a knee or a shoulder. There is a part in the body of Christ that will not get played unless you play it. And it's you and it's also anyone that you are encountering that you are assuming is too far gone. Because there is no one that God created to be a problem, to be useless. There is something in you and there's something in them and there's something in everyone. So what I would encourage you to is to begin to look for purpose in your own life. What am I here to do? What's inside of me? Who is around me? What am I meant to be doing? What role am I meant to be playing? And then as you encounter really difficult people, because they're everywhere, look for what's inside of them too. Because helping someone is actually bringing that out. You don't have to necessarily give or fix their whole life. But if you can see something that God has put in someone and bring it out, you will have helped them. And that's what Sapeo means, purpose. Yeah. So on the side of the school buses, it goes around the city. It says, I was created for a purpose. In Sisutu. So good. And we all have a purpose. Um, I wonder if we can do something right now and for all the people who are watching online as well. Would you guys be kind enough to lead people in an invitation to accept Jesus in their heart? I was going to do it, but I thought, no, no, I think you guys should do it. Is that okay? Yes. So I want to take a couple of minutes to do something which is incredibly important. Uh, We're going to be talking about having a right relationship with God. Remember that first scripture I shared with you? It was all about Jesus coming to set things right. And yes, it is about the poor and about the outcast. But the primary reason he came was for all of us to have a right relationship with God again. And sin is the thing that means a relationship with God is impossible. And God knows that there is nothing you can do to work your way and be good enough to have a relationship with God again. He is so kind that he has made a way. So all we have to do is to trust that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is enough for us to be reconnected to God. If we trust that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has satisfied God's anger and judgment, then we are saved. And you think, no, 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 there's there's a catch. It can't be that easy. It's that easy we would trust Jesus that he's enough what we get is peace here on earth and most people in this room have that and can testify to that our sins are forgiven and we go to heaven when we die that's what it is to be saved and to be reconnected with God so maybe it's your first time in church today maybe you've been brought by someone maybe you've been a long time away from God But I want to give you the opportunity today 
to say, do you know what? I want to become a Christian. I want my sin forgiven. I'm going to give the opportunity to say, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, that his life, death and resurrection satisfied God's judgment so that I can go to heaven, so that I can have peace and my sins can be forgiven. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, all right, well, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to go and try and do better and be good and then I might come back and make that decision. You're missing the point. There's not enough good things you can do. All of us here have made a decision because we're not good enough by ourselves. So if that's you, I'm going to just ask you to uh, put your hand up and I'll ask everyone just to close their eyes so they can have privacy. Just say, you know what? I need my sins forgiven today. And I want Jesus to be the sacrifice so that I can be right with God again. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down the front. But I would like to pray with you. If you're too shy to put up your hand, it's really okay. But please, before you leave, come and tell someone that, do you know what, I, I want to know more about that. I want to learn to put my trust in Jesus because it is the best thing that you can do. It is the most essential thing you need to do. All right. Everyone, you can open your eyes again. Yeah. So look, if that was you and you're like, I want to be right with God again. I am going to lead you in a prayer. It's okay if you didn't put up your hand. I'm going to pray and then the whole church is going to pray together with me so that if that was you, you don't have to pray alone. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you sent Jesus. I thank you that you have compassion on me. I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that my sins are forgiven. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will fill me today. Connect me in with the purpose that you have for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Come on. Let's give everybody people making decisions.